This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Bruno, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies for Kirk Street and ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A's, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone that has racism completely under control. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate, brought to you by CampusToCan.com. Matt Bruning is out. Austin Nace and Chris Moxley are back with me, and I'm Felix Sharp on a litigious version of tonight's show. We take an early look at the Pac-12. Do Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams make USC a playoff contender? And we consider who the breakouts are in the in the Pac-12. Already experiencing technical difficulties. But we start with Chris Moxley. A new segment here on the Debbie Debate, and the segment is called Will Austin Weigh In? And in this edition of Will Austin Weigh In, we talk about the important societal issue and the uh, lawsuit brought uh, by Brian Flores against the NFL. Uh, Chris Moxley, what were your immediate reaction? What was your immediate reaction to the allegations, to the lawsuit, to what Flores is doing? My immediate reaction was the Rooney rule is really easy to circumvent. Like the intention, the spirit of the rule and what actually plays out is really easy to like get by. How are how are teams just like doing not doing the bare minimum not to circumvent the most easily circumventable rule ever? Was my first thought. My second thought was obviously. Like none of this, none of the allegations that he made have been surprising. And I don't think anyone was surprised, which probably speaks to how we view the NFL and how the NFL has moved forward. And, you know, he's basically, for those who aren't totally familiar with the suit, he's basically claimed um, he's named the Giants, the Broncos, and I believe a named team in, in the suit. He has the Dolphins for something else, but basically uh, racist hiring practices for both the Broncos and the Giants. Um, they did, basically didn't give him a fair shot. He presented Bill Belichick's text as evidence. I I think this is a Bill Belichick's about, text messages, yes. which said, congratulations to Brian, Brian Flores. It was sent to Brian Flores before <laughs> yes. Brian Flores actually interviewed for the job. Brian Flores responds, coach, were you talking about me? Bill Belichick responds and says, oops, my bad. I meant Brian Dable. Go ahead. Yeah, it was just. Uh, that man, that that was cringeworthy reading those texts. I felt so uncomfortable for all the parties involved. But I don't think this is anything new that we didn't already know about the NFL. And that's kind of like that kind of sucks. I, it's shameful the NFL that we even um, have to like go through this. But I'm not surprised by what occurred here. And if his suit has merit, I think the NFL is probably in a big p- 
he ha- probably has a big PR problem com- coming forward. And I think that you're going to see a lot of coaches. I think you're going to see a lot of people join this lawsuit. Um, it's going to be a class action suit. There's already people speaking out against it. I think it's a bigger problem. The NFL wants to indicate say, cause they released a statement today saying we've already looked into it. It's not true after like two minutes. So like what I think they're trying to swipe it under the rug. And you know, we, we have a big issue about hiring practices that we need to address. Well, I mean, what we're looking at here is a coach who had kind of had enough. Uh, Brian Flores, after he was fired from Miami, remember where he started with Miami, how bad that team was. The allegations of the lawsuit allege that uh, uh, Stephen Ross, who's a Michigan alumni, offered Brian Flores $100,000 per loss. That's the season where they wanted to secure, well, at first it was Tua Tonga-Vialoa. They ended up getting him, but think about what he Tua Tungabiloa was going into that season. Joe Burrow ends up being the uh, the first quarterback taken uh, in, in that class, but Stephen Ross was very keen on getting the first pick. He thought that each win would would hurt their draft position. Offered again, offered Flores a hundred thousand dollars per loss. They had back to back winning seasons. Didn't make the the playoffs this year, and then when Flores is fired, first of all, uh, I don't think that people were expecting for. Uh, him to be fired given where that team started where he came from but he was absolutely dragged in the media uh after he was fired so it's not only did they fire a winning coach but there were either leaks from his staff or from the ownership group or what have you that um where where floors with his character was questioned how he treated his players and his coaching staff was questioned some things that might might turn out to be true but it has to be, you know, he, I think he took it. He took the interview with the New York Giants. He took the interview with another team and going into each of these interviews, knowing that he was just a, a placeholder candidate, a token candidate so that the Rooney rule could be met. I think that the uh, Bill Belichick text messages was kind of just the straw that coach that broke the camel's back. That was a former mentor of him, that of, of his. That was someone who was supposed to have his back, Bilicek, where he came from. He came from the Patriot way, and to get that, it it must not have actually um, felt good. There are a lot of ways, a lot of different ways that I could go with this story. One thing that was surprising, amongst several things that were surprising, is the fact that both Flores and his attorneys spoke to the media today. Uh, spoke to the media on national outlets and stood behind their allegations. That's not something I remember um, Colin Kaepernick doing. Uh, Brian Flores has essentially said, I'm going to be a martyr for this. I'm going to be the one that, that creates change because there's no way. There's no way that he is going to be hired in the NFL again. Definitely as a head coach, I doubt that he's going to be hired as an assistant coach with anyone. I mean, it's essentially... It feels like it would be career suicide to bring him on uh, uh, onto your staff because he is suing all 32 NFL teams. He is suing the owners that would employ him directly. There's no way that he's going to be working as a head coach again. Um, another aspect, I, I was I'm, I was I am currently a litigator. I was formerly a practicing frontline attorney where I'd be in a courtroom, a federal courtroom, defending an an action like this. And um, I do want to touch on some of the things that we can expect to happen next one. This was filed as a class action. Uh, I went back and looked at the federal rules of civil procedure on class actions. And so the class will need to be certified. All of that really means is that um, this can move forward as a, uh, as a group litigation against the NFL. So the requirements for certification are that the class is so numerous that joinder of all members uh, is impractical, impracticable. Uh, there are questions of law or fact common to the class. The claims or defenses of the representative parties are typical of the claims or defenses of the class, and the representatives, the representative parties will fairly and adequately protect the interest of the class. So um, as long as the court finds, and there's going to be briefing on this, that those four requirements are met, then it will proceed as a class action. And I'm trying to think of who are some some coaches who could potentially join this class. I really think that anybody who is in the NFL right now is out. But when I look at my old Detroit Lions teams, their coaching staffs, 
Jim Caldwell had a winning record with the Lions. I don't. I think the last coach to have a winning record with the Lions may have been Wayne Fonts. That might not be true. He may also not have had a winning record. Um, Jim Caldwell not in the NFL right now. After after in in led the Lions to the playoffs in fifty percent of his seasons. Not in the NFL. Um, I think that he could potentially be a candidate to join the class. His defensive coordinator. Terrell Austin was once considered a hot head coaching candidate given how the Lions defense performed during his ten- his tenure. Never actually got the head coaching opportunity. Eric Bieniemy, I mean, how he is not a head coach is just beyond me. Um, he could join the – Chris Richard. Chris Richard, the Dallas Cowboys uh, defensive coordinator – we've heard these black head coaches names and they don't actually end up becoming head coaches is one of the reasons why I actually really applaud um, Bruce Arians and what he did coming back to the NFL. If you look at and see what his coaching staffs look like, let's go back to the legal process. So assuming the class is certified, there's another step that that will have to occur. Um, The complaint will either have to be answered. That essentially means that the defendant's, file a document that says everything that they said in that document isn't true. That's essentially, and here are our affirmative defenses. That's essentially what an answer is. They could also file a motion to kick the case out entirely. That'd be a motion to dismiss. I kind of doubt that a motion to dismiss is filed in this case. I think it will be an answer. So if an answer is filed and there's a time limit for that, usually it's like 20 days or so, After that, they will go through the discovery process. And if you're listening to to our podcast, I'm assuming that you have heard other more prominent shows talk about um, the legal process today in reference to Brian Flores. Discovery, it means one thing that I would want as an attorney, I would want to depose Bill Belichick and ask him, how did he know that Brian Dable was already going to be hired as the head coach? That's a de- uh, that's a deposition. Before you take before you take depositions, you get written discovery. You can serve requests for your pr- production of documents. Give me all the documents that back up my, pl- my these claims. I want to see Bill Belichick's text messages. I want to see Stephen Ross's emails. I want to see the Dolphins' uh, email server. You can send requests for admissions, like admit that these facts are true, and you have to admit them. And you can serve um, interrogatories. Interrogatories are just. Uh, uh, general questions that ask for for information and you have to respond to them. These are all under oath. These are all under oath and you're verifying that they are in fact uh, true. And so, you know, if we get past that motion to dismiss answer stage, we're going to go into a discovery stage where, you know, potentially I doubt it, but potentially you could see some depositions being taken, Bill Belichick, Stephen Ross, folks like that. Um, So that's where we're going to go. That is where we're going to go. Uh, you know, the, the we've heard the statistics about the NFL's labor force being 70% black. And at the, at the moment, I think, what, we got two black head coaches. Is is uh, Byron Leftwich hired in Jacksonville already and Mike and Mike Tomlin? Um, it, we only have one. Quite frankly. We only – okay, so it's only Mike Tomlin? Byron Leftwich not Mike, hired yet? Not, not, uh, not officially. If it's going to happen, okay. I don't know. Well – and it's and it's funny that you've got Chad Khan, the the only um, minor, the only uh, uh, the brown owner who's going to be hiring the black head coach. That's really what needs to change is the is the is the ownership dynamic. Um, I mean, I don't think that that it's surprising given that you have older white men who are owning these teams. You know, hiring people that look like them. I, it's probably not the most progressive group, not to get into politics here. All right, uh, Chris Moxley, what, what do you think? You think Austin's going to weigh in here? What do you think? Um, no. But 14 minutes I, in. I'm Austin's, I think Austin's I think he's surprised me before. Just, just like when we, you know, when we did the the old HBCU thing and you ripped him a new one on the HBCU thing, so um, – yeah. I don't. I'm, I. I think he's. I think he's gonna. I think he's got something. Austin. Austin Nates. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, what do you think? Well, uh, your whole spiel on certifying a class just triggered the crap out of me and took me right back to bar exam prep. So thanks for that. I'm probably not going to sleep very well tonight. Um, <clears throat> not. 
not the most ex- not the best months of your life there. Um, so I actually, it's funny because actually, like my my real answer to this is very much a non-answer, and that I think oh, this is going to be a shocker. case. I think this is going to be a case where everything and what the, everything that they said in that complaint is true, and nothing happens. I think you, I, I would be willing to bet that 95% of the stories, and I read a very large portion of that yesterday as I was flipping through it, um, about um, Peyton Manning and, and whoever, or not Peyton Manning, uh, John Elway and whoever's showing up, like, obviously hung over for, uh, for an interview. And uh, they did a really interesting job linking the John Gruden emails um, into this whole thing. Um, so it was very, very interesting. But I, I, that's that's how this strikes me. It's going to be a thing where, all these stories might be true. There, I, I don't. I, I don't think he's going to have a lot of luck with this. But maybe I'm wrong. Just that's my was my initial reaction as I read it. Well, I mean, I do. Well, first of all, it's very surprising, Chris Moxley. You owe some money, Chris Moxley. I told you that he would weigh in. Um, I let's talk about potential outcomes here because what we see, first of all. Any, any complaint that's filed has essentially no chance to go to trial. That's just the way the math works for any any lawsuit that's filed. Um, the It's really the plaintiff, the, the person or people who file that action, um, they kind of control whether or not it goes to trial by not settling. If they can get past that motion to dismiss stage, that dispositive motion stage, and the court says this case can go on, well, I mean, then that that discovery time period is where the parties generally settle. And the court is going to give deadlines for that discovery period to be over. There will be another dispositive motion stage where at the end of collecting that evidence, the NFL could say, you know, judge, we collected all this evidence. There's still no claim here as a matter of law. You should still dismiss this case. I don't see that happening. And so what is most likely, again, what is most likely to happen is that, you know, the NFL is probably going to file an answer. There might be some motions on the certification of the class. And then six months from now, we're going to hear that the NFL has settled this. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the NFL has the money to to buy their way out of these things. To buy their way out of these things. And is Jim Caldwell going to turn down three or four million that he would get? Is, 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 uh, is Brian Flores going to turn down the money that he would get as a member of the class? Or they just, you know, so we're not, this this thing is going to probably be settled. It might be a year, it might be two, but I, I doubt that we see very much. I doubt that we get to the discovery where Bill Belichick is sitting in a chair, you know, next March, given deposition testimony under it. One one quick thing I just want to tell like that I feel like has not gotten enough attention. If if the Dolphins paying him a hundred grand to lose is true, Stephen Ross has to lose that team, right? Yeah, yeah. like no that, that no has chance. to happen. And that no like is obviously it, the the case itself is a big story, but like that part has just kind of been like it's turned into like a joke with Hugh Jackson. Like, yeah. and I feel like that's an, an equally <laughs> big deal about you know the integrity of like are people actually trying to win these football games. I think it has two impacts. One is I don't think Stephen Ross can own the team moving forward. And I would not be surprised if the NFL moved to a lottery system if that came out. Um, Because, I mean, right now it's it's entirely based on your standings. A lot of the other pro sports leagues have lotteries. So it would not surprise me, especially if the Hugh Jackson stuff is true, which I don't know if it is. It sounded like whatever. But if Flores can prove this, it's going to be a big problem. I think that's, I think that's the one that he he can legitimately prove yes or no. It sounds like they have witnesses to this. It's going to be a lot harder to prove um, the other portion of it because you know they did the Giants did bring in Leslie Frazier for an interview before they brought in Flores. So like the Giants said, hey, like we brought in Leslie Frazier and like he was our token black candidate actually. Like you, you were our legitimate candidate. He was just a token guy. I, I don't know what the Giants are going to do, but I feel like that's probably where it's going to go. I I don't know. Um, that was me but, and Felix, by the way, Luke. We were the two lawyers that defeated Tom Brady. So yeah, I've heard I've heard that actually. <clears throat> but I speak, I well, feel speak. like I got a really good a good good law lesson here from um, my cousin Felix. So this is a good one. Well, speaking of Tom Brady. Um, this is why we have a show all year round because stuff is always happening. Think about all the content 
or potential content sources. Tom Brady retires. Caleb Williams goes to USC. This happens, and it's National Signing Day. Uh, this being a Debbie show, we act, we need to hit on some of some of the surprises that uh, occur, that happened today. National signing today, National Signing Day being today. Now, I recognize that for some of these freshmen, um, the, our audience may not recognize those names yet. But if you're in campus to Canton Leagues, which you should be, you will become familiar with these names. Andrew Paul, the three-star prospect. I've written on him. He's gotten a lot of uh, hype in the last couple of months or so. When July was, uh, when July, at the end of July, the only offer that he had was Colorado. They offered him back in February. He would have gone to someplace like Houston Baptist or, or North Texas or Texas Southern. Um, that's where he was headed had, had, uh, he not ran for 2,600 yards and been a 220-pound back who's hitting over 21 miles per hour, uh, his last season playing at the same school as Preston Stone. He commits to Georgia. Now, that's interesting because uh, they've got Branson Robinson there, who's become a more familiar name in, in the Debbie community. Um, and that backfield is obviously usually there's a committee there. But, Austin, I mean, what do you think about – is there the potential for Andrew Paul to surpass Branson Robinson on that depth chart maybe get playing time this year. And the reason that I ask is because they are, they are, they are similarly sized, but I think that their play styles are entirely different. You know what? I'm going to say yes. And I don't think there's an, a great likelihood of him straight up surpassing him. Branson Robinson. I'm sorry. Like I, so I, I am the Christopher Columbus of Andrew Paul um, here at C2C. I discovered him like yes. four yes. months ago. Um, that one he was like in the hundreds and then he has just shot up. Um, so much so that like my scouting report was like, he has no offers. Like maybe I'm just an idiot. I have no idea what I'm, maybe I have no idea what I'm looking at. Um, Branson Robinson is not a perfect prospect guys. Like I think he's he's a good player, but he has some issues that people are just ignoring because he looks like a Marvel villain. Like seriously, like the, the, the kid has been like, it looked like an NFL running back since like the age of 14 but he his footwork is really not great. It's very inefficient. He's a bit of a lumberer at times at 220 plus pounds. Like I actually think at some point being that big is a detriment. I kind of have the same feeling about Braylon Allen. And that's kind of been some of my discussion around him is he's just too big. So like, and I think Andrew Paul is a better athlete than him. And I do think at this point in time, Branson Robinson might be a better pure running back. And like Felix said, you know, they are a little different stylistically, but I think there's a chance that, and at the end of the day, three or four years when we're looking at, you know, our dynasty rookie drafts or whatever, that people are, Andrew Paul is a name and, and Branson Robinson is a Zamir White-ish, just, you know, kind of afterthought back in the class. It would not be the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. That was a hot, that was a hot take. And I apparently bring the heat tonight. Matt, Matt isn't here for one night, one show and Austin's off. Off his uh, off the rocker. So I don't... someone someone has to be saying goofy shit when Matt's not here. So it might as well be. Yeah, me. yeah. Well, I don't know if we're bringing up Ohio State tonight, so <laughs> we might not get that goofy. Um, I I don't I don't have a strong opinion, and I hate to be like Austin here. I think that this backfield is just going to shake itself out. Um, I think Kendall Milton's going to be the lead back here, and I think there's a good chance that both freshmen get on the field. Um, probably split touches uh as the rb2 three so it's like a 2a 2b situation and i think we're heading into campus getting drafts debbie drafts viewing these players similarly between robinson and and paul so i mean i like both guys fine um but i honestly wonder if we i say we i'm not i don't work at 24 7 i don't work at rivals but i wonder if recruiting services moved up paul yeah, I work at CSUC. That's true. I wonder if recruiting services moved up Paul enough at the end of their rankings because he was such a late riser that did they really adjust far enough? Because I think he, I mean, I don't think he ended in the composite top 15. I think he was SI. No, he's 20. 42. RB yeah, 42. yeah. So, so he's way, he's way still down a there. three star prospect, right? He's still a yeah. three star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't think that they adjusted enough. So I think you're going to get a discount on him. Um, 
maybe not because everyone here is talking about him. So if you don't listen to Kev Scanton, you're probably going to get a discount on him. So so find, find that person. But yeah, I I like him because I trust more what y'all say. Like he looks good to me, but what what do, what do I know? I he didn't have any offers, like you said. We'll 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 go into the season in this class as the number fifty eight running back, number uh, forty two in the composite, number fifty eight according to twenty four seven Sports. Um, you're right. If you're listening to Campus to Can dot Campus to Can any of our podcasts, he, he will go a lot higher. I have him ranked higher than than uh, Branson Robinson. He, Austin, you hit your. I've had. I've, I've had. He is a better athlete. He appears. He's faster. He seems to have more lateral agility. Now, I don't know that that means that it probably means that I'm not going to have very much uh, Branson Robinson. He's going to go in the first round of all of these supple, supplemental drafts. I find it hard to believe that Andrew Paul will reach that level. But there's one of these guys is is, is like a Kendall Milton type player, and that's Branson Robinson. And Andrew Paul, quite frankly, has more explosion. Um, so – Andrew, I've got Andrew. I've got Andrew Paul a little bit higher. I do have Travante Citizen over both of them. Travante Citizen, who is going to the U, Miami Spurns, LSU. That's where we thought he was going to. That where he was going. Um, Chris Moxley, have you watched? I don't know. I don't want to want to throw it to you if you haven't watched the freshman. I know Austin has, but uh, Travante Citizen, two hundred seventeen pound back. Played in the state of Louisiana, was considered to be going to uh, to LSU. Austin, I mean, you're working on our project right now. I mean, what are your thoughts about Travante Citizen and specifically his fit in Miami? Yeah, it's, Miami surprised me a little bit because I thought a lot of the discourse the past couple of weeks made it sound like he'd basically did, uh, narrowed it down between LSU uh, and Florida. Uh, he had previously been committed to LSU, I believe, and then broke uh, ended that commitment when uh, with the coaching staff change there. Um, but Citizen's a really fun one. He's another one that that was a late riser, just not to the level that that Andrew Paul was because he obviously wasn't ranked um, that lowly in the first place. Uh, but he up until this year, basically split his time half linebacker, half running back. But he's got the size at about six foot two hundred and seventeen ish pounds. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm going through like his rank history right now at as recently as the beginning of the college football season, he was, um, he was like RB 18, RB 19, um, close to two hundredth uh, in total in the composite. Um, now he's up to RB eight, I believe really good pass catcher. Like, I feel like this kid has kind of just scratched the surface of what he can do. Miami's fun. He might not play there year one. There's no guy at Miami that I love, but it's a lot of bodies, and sometimes it can just be really difficult. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry to kind of climb that many bodies in one season. Like it just, it it, it sometimes can be a tough task, especially because obviously if he's signing now, he's probably not going to be an early enrollee there, so that kind of takes away that opportunity. Um, but I would expect a, probably a pretty big year two there for him, um, and I think you know he's he's uh, RB four in the class for me. I think he can be a top 50 NFL draft selection when all is said and done. I, I can't remember exactly where I have him. I did move him up based on him going to Miami. Um, I, I like what Tyler Van Dyke is, is doing there. They still don't have an offensive coordinator. I don't, I, they don't have they an hired a DC, but not an offensive coordinator. No. But, but let Tyler Van Dyke call the plays. We'll, we'll be just fine. Jalen Knighton is there. Uh, Don Chaney is still there. Didn't finish the season. I, I mean, I still like both of those guys. Knighton obviously being a more lightning to someone else's thunder. And that thunder could be Trevante Citizen, who has the size to, you know, be a good complement to, you know, more of a scat player. So the last one is one of my Wait, player, favorite about, players. In the- I want to interrupt about Trevante oh. Citizen. I, I actually have a take on Trevante Citizen because I – the cost Austin was the Christopher Columbus of Andrew Paul. I tweeted June 1st. I had to pull, I'd pull the receipts here. June 1st, I said I would not be shocked if Trevante Citizen ended up as a top three RB for me when all is said and done. June 1st. I am not Christopher Columbus. I'm more like a uh, secondary explorer that, that I can't even remember the name of. So there you go. But I, he's a guy that I've actually been really high on for a long time. I think he was definitely misranked. Um, 
for a long time. I'm excited. All right, there you go. I just had to get my 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 uh, state my claim quick. There we go. We got the two white guys battling over who's Christopher Columbus. No, no surprise there. All right. Um, let I want to talk about Jordan James, and I don't know that he's necessarily an exciting name, but he is a a player that whose style I have gravitated towards. Uh, he reminds me of Ramondre Stevenson. He reminds me of Mayad Williams. Yes, Austin, I will agree with you as you said on Campus Life. He is not as big as those two, at least not yet listed at two hundred five. But when you think about uh, Williams and Stevenson, they kind of defenders just fall off them. They have this, they get good momentum. They have good lower halves. That's the kind of player that Jordan James is. He can also catch the ball very natural catching the ball. If he can get around two fifteen, which I think he could by the time uh, the fall started, he's going to be ideal size. He is going, and I didn't say this, he is going to Oregon. He, he was committed to Georgia, Georgia as Andrew Paul, Jordan James had been committed to Georgia for a, a long time. He's, he's going to Oregon. And we think about what that depth chart looks like now. C.J. Verdell was injured at the end of the season. I can't believe he's going back. C.J. Verdell is going back. Byron uh, Cardwell and then no Travis Dye, who was their leading, leading rusher last year. They're going to run more than two backs uh, in that backfield. And Jordan James could definitely carve out, out – carve out a role and so we're in campus again we want to get some of these guys who are going to be able to play early uh uh blue is not playing early i mean if if texas wants to win if they think they can be good and they're going to be starting quinn yours jaydon blue is not going to play that much in year one and so um not that i have james ranked ahead of blue but we could see one of these players accrue value this season by with playing time and one of them not all right, that's uh, National Signing Day. All right, and uh, just Austin. just you know, oh, just to one up Chris, I just went on Twitter and I looked at my thing, and on February second, twenty twenty two, I tweeted out, "Jordan James is the best back on Oregon, even if he doesn't start this year." So just to just to plant plant my flag there, I so Wait, February second. You, you never like the players that I like. You like you like a player that I like. He's a top twelve back for me. It's a deep running back class. It's a very like that sounds like an insult, but it's a very deep running back class. So top twelve back, it's a that's a pretty good one in this for this year. Okay. All right, Austin. I'm always scared when I turn it over to you for uh, housekeeping. I never know uh, what's going to happen. You, know? you never know what you're going to get. I need to get some sort of props for this or something. Or, um, but you got to work yourself up. Come on. I do. I do. Is it good? Good cop or bad cop day? Yeah, this week, honestly, guys, just kind of sucked for reviews. You guys didn't give us anything. Um, quite frankly, can I go disappointed dad? Is that a better vibe? Like, guys, I'm not mad. I'm just really disappointed in you. The fact that, you know, we we don't ask very much of you. We ask you to do one thing for us. It's to go on iTunes or Spotify. You don't have that excuse anymore. We said go on there. Please just give us a five-star review. You can say whatever you want in it. Um, we really like when you don't talk about Felix in them. So if you continue to do that, that would be great. Uh, apparently, apparently, none of the reviews talk about Felix, um, so we'll keep that up. Uh, <laughs> beyond that, guys, I don't know if you have heard us talk about this before, but we are part of the team at Campus DeCanton, so go ahead. If you haven't already, again, disappointed dad, why aren't you over there already, guys? $2.99 a month, $29.99 a year. We have a whole freaking podcast network over there. We've got articles. we got rankings. We've got ADP. Jarek's built this cool tool. I can find out how much... Uh, um, uh, market share Miami is vacating at the wide receiver position in like 30 seconds. Like this, this is good stuff. It's going to help you no matter what format you really? play. I need to figure I'll out sh- how to use I mean, I'll, I'll show you how after the show, Felix. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll okay. do, uh, yeah, we'll do uh, 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 computer time, you and me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and check that out. Um, and I think that's it. Do I have anything else on, on housekeeping to talk about? I think no, I check out the YouTube page. Make sure you are subscribing to Campus to Canton, to Debbie Debate, the Campus to Canton YouTube page and the Campus to Canton podcast feed. We're, I mean, we're going to get to the point where we're going to have content for you, multiple streams of content for you every everywhere that you're at. So be locked in. That was, that was you know, I'm not going to hate on Austin. That was pretty good. For that. All right. Um, the substance of tonight's show. We're going to be talking about the Pac-12, and obviously we wanted to stick this in here so we could talk a little bit about um, Caleb Williams and 
uh, Lincoln Riley going to USC. It seems natural given that Caleb Williams finally, finally commits to USC. Uh, it seems like it was, I mean, we're in February here. Like, he, he, is he just now starting classes? I mean, is he going to be able to even get the grades that he needs to to be able to compete in, in the spring? Regardless, uh, Chris Moxley, Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley back together. I mean, what do you think about this pairing? What do you think about USC overall with uh, with the offensive guru, Lincoln Riley, at the helm? Yeah. Sometimes I just want to like wait and see if someone will notice that there's no sound like if they're that they're muted. But I, I got to do it one time every episode, so I got it out of the way about halfway through. Um, it can't be bad for Caleb Williams, right? I mean, this was the best place he probably could have gone uh, to team up with Lincoln Riley. The so I I talked about this a little bit this morning too, but the offensive line at USC is so bad. Um, it's like they're it's probably their weakest unit on the field. Uh, last season they allowed. Uh, 2.55 yards or time like seconds per throw. Uh, Caleb Williams had 3.51 at Oklahoma, so he's losing basically a full second um, of like how what he's used to in, in throwing, which I think is going to be a big issue and adjustment for him because he really relied on that to like let plays develop last year. So I think he's it's actually going to be a pretty rocky start to to begin the season unless they get some more linemen in the portal, which. Right now, they have Bobby Haskins, who uh, transferred in from Virginia, and they're bringing back six players who started for them. But it's still not not a good unit. I best case scenario, I think for Caleb Williams, but I for the first couple games, I'm tempering expectations. Like I don't think it's going to be as good as maybe people think it will be. I I don't Caleb Williams um, could be instant offense anywhere. That's why I thought that him going with to Wisconsin would be it could potentially work because he's not Carson strong. I mean, like Caleb Williams avoids the rush, finds people downfield. And I don't know that his supporting cast matters as much for, you know, for, for him as it might for, for some other players, you don't necessarily have to protect them that well. He's a great rusher holds on to the ball too long, but I thought that he could have gone anywhere, but we're going to talk about Caleb Williams a little bit later in the show as we get through here. Uh, We've been doing three particular buckets or pulling out three players, each of us, as we're going through these early um, uh, look forwards at different conferences, a breakout player, a comeback player, and a freshman. And we're going to start with the uh, the breakout player. Chris Moxley, you've got a guy here that is starting to have some buzz or has, has had some buzz for the last few months. Yeah, I love uh, Washington State bringing in Cameron Ward from Incarnate Ward. Um, you know, last season he posted 4,600 passing yards, 47 touchdowns, and adjusted completion percentage of 74%, uh, 7.9 yards per pass attempt. Which it's not great, but he was throwing and they were down a bunch. So like, I'm pretty much willing to excuse at least part of that until we see him play, um, you know, in a little bit better system and a little bit better team around him. I really like the offense they're bringing into Eric Morris was the offensive coordinator with Ward at ICW. Uh, he, his offense is like a different type of area. Basically it's like really an area RPO blend. Um, it's really, it's really interesting offense. I think it works pretty well. He runs a lot more than traditional air raid teams do, but I think it's time for him to like get another uh, offensive coordinator job because he was offensive coordinator at Texas Tech under Cliff Kingsbury. He's worked closely with Mike Leach. He like comes from that system. I do think we're going to see success from Ward this year, and I I like the pieces that they have there. I actually really like Deshaun Stripling, who I think is could very well be the wide receiver one there. There there's some exciting stuff happening. I I like them keeping Jay Dickert on staff. I think Dickert's a good coach. And I think Eric Morris is like the second time around as an offensive coordinator is, is going to be a successful one. So I'm really excited for, to see what Cameron Ward can do. People love him. Like the scouts are raving about him and his arm talent and just like the ability to deliver on throws. He's not like a super athlete, but he's, he's passable. Like he's good enough. He's not somebody who's going to lay you up. He's not Carson. He's I, be- I'm really excited. He's a better athlete than Carson Strong. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, Chris Moxley, you expect that offense to be, I mean, from Mike Leach being there, 
Um, it's always been a, an air raid pass heavy system. Are you saying that that's what it's going to be moving forward? Uh, I don't, it won't be as extreme as Mike Leach. Um, you know, like I, I, he runs like, I, I think that his, the rushes per game last season was higher than any of Mike, Mike Leach's years at Washington state. So he's going to run more that he, like his modified air raid RPO is a really interesting scheme that you're not really seeing adopted anywhere else. And I think it's going to succeed. And that's what I'm really excited to to see. But it's going to be closer to the air raid than it was under Nick Rolovich, who is a uh, was a problem at Washington State. I'll, I'll keep it simple. Um, and my player is Jacob Cowan. Now, I thought I had some uh, notes here. Oh, here, here we go. My This is a breakout. Jacob Cowan. Jacob Cowan is probably already broken out. Um, he's in his third year at UTEP. He was in his. He was at UTEP. He transfers to Arizona this year. Uh, 3.7 yards receiving yards per team pass attempt. You want that number to be over 2.5 in your third year. He was at 3.7. Weighted dominator weight rating well above the regression line all three years. Um, 21.7 uh, high school max speed, according to David Nipple, uh, solving football on Twitter. I think that he is very similar to Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore, a slot receiver who could also beat you deep. That's what I see with Jacob Cowan. He's going to have Jane DeLara throwing to him. There are not – that Arizona team is still building. I think that Jacob Cowan is going to be at the center of it. I would have liked to have seen him go to a more established program so he could get that one year and then make the jump to the NFL. Regardless, the offense should probably revolve around him and he's got a good skill set and it's not just to be um a good college fantasy producer but he should have a a shot at the nfl he should have a shot at the nfl after next season should he come out i mean you're gonna hope that he comes out it'll be his fourth year so jacob and i think that we are all our fans of jacob cowling i forgot to mention chris moxley uh cameron ward He's, I think he's like 16 in my rankings. You know, he's debuting going from FCS to FBS uh, at 16 or so in my rankings. So I have, I have him QB 11. Like I'm super high on him. Um, and I think I might not be aggressive enough based on how the season is going to go. Um, well, you can't be higher than but, Jake Hayner. So uh, that's, all right. that's, that's true. I love Jacob Cowling though. I, I very much endorse this. Also, I don't know who's talking. I'm a little bit confused about what's going on here when the first words out of your mouth are yards per team pass attempt. I feel like I need, I feel like that needs to go into this podcast that I have no idea what's going on here. With when talk about when it comes to the wide receivers, pass. I tend to look at the, and you'll only hear me pull out numbers for the wide receivers. You will not hear me talk about QBR and whatever for quarterbacks. You won't hear me talk about anything for running backs. So it's all it's I do really rely a little bit more on those on those numbers for the wideouts. So all right, Austin, who you got? Who's the breakout in the Pac twelve? Yeah, he kind of broke out at the end of last season, but no one is really talking about him that much, especially not obviously in pure Debbie circles, which is what we try to keep the show uh more tilted toward. Uh, that's Gary Bryant Jr. uh going into his third year, the wide receiver there at USC. Um, he's not necessarily some sort of secret. You know, he was in the number seven wide receiver in the composite coming out of high school. I believe he was my wide receiver eight in that class. Uh, he was tiny. He was like, he was listed like 5'10, 160. Um, listed to 5'11, 180 now. So we'll see uh, how accurate any of that is. But uh, Drake London was the target hog there. Um, just an absurd amount of targets if you go look at his game logs for last year. But he went down to that Arizona game. Uh, Gary Bryant Jr. leading up to that three, four, five targets a game, you know, definitely a, a secondary target. Uh, London went down 12 targets, 13 targets, 11 targets to end the year. Uh, turned those into uh, six for 64, nine for 161 and a touchdown and then five for 56 and a touchdown. So I, I realize, you know, new quarterback, new head coach, um, new system for him, probably. But I think he's uber talented. I think he's, you know, very quick. He's shifty, kind of fits that mold that the NFL is not scared to go after some of these smaller guys anymore. Um, I think possibly just to push Felix's buttons, I think he's the most talented wide receiver there on the roster. Um, and so I, I, I'm predicting a big year out of him for, in, you know, I, I do like one or two CFF leagues a year, a year. I'll probably be targeting him pretty hard in those. I'll probably be making a push in any leagues. I don't already have him in for C2C. Um, I have him in a lot, so so that'll be tough. 
But um, he, he's just a guy that I'm really, really high on going into the year. I think he has a big year and potentially, you know, early to clear after that. So Lincoln Riley in, in going to USC, he got Relique Brown, who was previously committed to Oklahoma. He's going to USC, adding wide receivers, CJ Williams, uh, Matter Day pr- product out there in California. But then he gets the transfers. He gets Mario Williams, who all of us have ranked relatively highly. He also gets um, Brennan Rice, Jerry Rice's son, and uh, Terrell Bynum from Washington. There's not that much space when you consider, you know, that that Lincoln Riley is bringing in these players that he recruited. He did not recruit Gary Bryant. I think that Gary Bryant could be a potential uh, transfer candidate. And you know where he needs to go. I don't know where you have him in your rankings, Austin, but where would you put Gary Bryant if he transferred to Ole Miss? Oh, I was hoping you were asking for a landing spot. And I was going to say Pitt. Um, he'd be their leading wide receiver next year. He would. Um, but I, to be honest, I think like I don't think Gary Bryant's the guy that gets screwed. I think it's Taj Washington. Taj Washington just completely loses out in this scenario. I forgot. I forgot about Taj Washington. <laughs> there you go. So did Riley. He shows up to practice. He's like, "Who the fuck are you?" Like, yes, yeah. it's poor Taj Washington who transferred in there from Memphis last offseason. He's the kind of guy that gets screwed in this kind of move, in my opinion. Not a kid like Gary Bryant. Do do Bynum and uh, Rice play outside the majority of the time? Like where, where uh, Rice does, yeah, yeah. Okay, because well, I mean Washington ran outside ninety four percent of the time. Um, he actually led the team in routes run last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the coaching staff, but I I penciling him in as the wide receiver across the formation from Mario Williams with Bryant in the slot. So maybe we need to readjust that. Yeah, I think Washington's the one that 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 is in trouble on this personally. That's just, that's my guess. All right, um, let's move on here to the comeback player, someone who will, uh, whose whose stock will rise, whose stock was low, and it might make a comeback here in 2022 in the Pac-12. Chris Moxley, the names that you've got here, I've been I've heard about these guys since uh, last year, and uh, they haven't done much. I don't expect. I, I don't know. I don't know why I should love these two, but Austin's always talking about them. Yeah, if you yeah, if you listen to our flagship pod, Camp Scan, you probably heard these names before. They're the names of the Washington Husky wide receivers, Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan. So last season and the season before was uh offense coordinator John Donovan, who lives in like the sixties version of football, who I don't believe is a good offensive coordinator and not a modern offensive coordinator for sure. Um, I thought Jimmy Lake made a huge mistake hiring him and holding on to him for another year. I think probably cost Lake his job, but now they have Kalen Dobear in. And last season, under uh, you know he's from Fresno State and he, he coached Jay Kaner and, and a really productive passing offense. Last season, fifty-seven percent neutral game pass rate, tenth nationally. They ranked sixteenth in EPA per pass attempt. And John Donovan's only full season, which was twenty twenty, the neutral script pass rate was forty. 2%, which was bottom 30. This is going to be a very different offense under Kalen Dobert than it was under John Donovan, Jimmy Lake. And I think the two beneficiaries are going to be Roma Dunze and Jalen McClellan, who I think are both pretty good players. I I personally prefer Dunze, and I'm not going to... like. He was better than, than McMillan was last season. He's been better than McMillan the whole time they've been there. So I'm not going to... Um, like I think maybe McMillan has more potential, whatever that whatever that means. Like who who even knows? Odunze's outperformed him on the field the whole time, but I think both guys are going to benefit from just the just, just a change in philosophy offensively, and they're going to be the wide receiver one and two. And I think even if we get a pass rate that's close to fifty five, fifty seven percent, you're going to see beneficiaries no matter what. So I think both guys are probably underrated in general, but I I'm excited to see the comeback of Washington's offense. The player that you're really talk that you're really talking about there, Chris Moxley, potentially breaking out, or excuse me, being the comeback player, is one Michael Penix Jr., who Kalen DeBoer coached in 2019 at Indiana. Uh Michael Penix Jr. offers some things that Jake Hayner does not, and that is the ability to throw the ball downfield. He has a cannon for a left arm. He can make all the opposite hash throws. And what Kalen DeBoer can do is help Michael Penix Jr. 
be consistent, to get his pat, uh, completion percentage up. Um, was never the same. You know, he's been at that 2019 season, I think was his best year. He's been injured, was injured last year. Can't say if he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy, Michael Penix Jr. could be the player that allows you to see these McMillan and uh, and Adunzi put up the numbers that you think that they can put up. I don't think that you can tout one without the other Austin Mason. I know that you are a Michael Penix Jr. hater, but I mean, he is a good college quarterback. And if it were not for the injuries, if it were not for his inconsistency with his feet, I know that's a lot of knots. I think he could potentially, he could have developed into a first round quarterback because he had the arm talent to do so. He was just one, he was injured and two, base mechanics were absolutely awful and he never was able to improve because he was always injured in the spring and never, you know, never able to compete uh, in the, in the practice session. So Michael Penix Jr. is the player that if he's healthy, he is going to uh, be the tide that rises all ships, including McMillan and Adunze. Counterpoint. (laughs) Sam Heward is going to be the comeback player of the year. (laughs) Washington Huskies podcast. Take that. Um, So I get everything you're saying about Michael Penix, but to me, this Penix situation feels very similar and he's, he's a better player than this person. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comping them directly, but this feels like Joe Milton to Tennessee last year where we said the coach is bringing this guy in because he clearly has this preference. And maybe he did at the beginning of the year, but he realized very quickly that Joe Milton wasn't it. Josh Heupel did. Put in Hendon Hooker, who we spent all offseason, again, shout out to the C2C pod, saying Hendon Hooker is a stud. Hendon Hooker is going to be amazing at Tennessee. Lo and behold, they gave the reins to Hendon Hooker. The offense saw uh, rocket ship emoji upward. I think they can do the same thing this year in Washington. And I'm not actually necessarily a Penix hater, but the guy, like you said, he can't stay healthy. He's never played more than six games in a season. And he's been the starter there for the last three years. Like, that's not ideal. Uh, he obviously had that big year under DeBoer, uh, completed about 69% of his passes, uh, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, so I'm reuniting there. That's a good thing. But I just, like, I just think at this point, he is what he is. That was kind of his ceiling. I think the injuries have taken their toll. And I think that, you know, he'll come in there, he'll compete. I don't think he's a long-term starter there. Sam Heward, on the other hand, who was very poor in their final game of the season, but was a top quarterback in last year's class one of the top rated recruits washington's ever brought in uh has the bloodlines if you recognize the last name his dad his uncle uh have all have all been around the nfl um i i think in a hot like he he stylistically he's not dissimilar from jake hayner and i think hayner is like the perfect divorce type quarterback so i like i i just think Stewart takes that job week three week four if he doesn't have it going into the year and I think it's, you know, high volume pass attack. I think he looks really good. I'm not, we're not going to be saying that he's in a top five, top 10 draft pick, but I think it, it really rehabs our opinion of Sam Heward throughout this year. You know, the Pac 12 is bad when uh, we're all talking about Washington Huskies. I mean, we're going to, how are we going to drive ratings sitting here talking about the Washington Huskies football team? Um, because outside of USC, it's a conference that simply isn't exciting. Let's I, go through the. I sat here for a while, like, who was good that didn't play last year? That like, it took me a while to think of think of a couple of these. I'm not gonna lie. And we all ended up um, in Washington. <laughs> the same the same position for for one of the categories. Let's go to the freshman here, and let's go relatively um, quickly, as quick as we can. Uh, we're getting a little long here. Chris Moxley, who you got? Freshman breakout. Well, I'm glad you brought up quick because I like Rayshon Luke, who is fast as hell. This dude can play. He's a professional. Um, really fast. He he is light. I think that's the big knock on him. But there's nobody in that backfield that scares me. And I think he is the clearest path to production of a lot of running backs in this class. No, no running back had more than 91 touches. Uh, for Arizona last year, they just don't have a good threat there. And the offense is going to be so much better with Delora at quarterback, cowing on the outside. Um, they're bringing in two really good freshman wide receivers. He, so Luke, who I, I believe he won MVP of the Under Armour Bowl, and if he didn't, he showed out. He was awesome. But he's a 10-5-5 verified 100. He can catch passes. Like, he he really is a dual threat guy. I think it's going to step in and 
possibly be a productive player from day one for like your fantasy teams too. I I'm really excited about what he can do. I don't know about his NFL potential. If I'm being honest, he needs to add like a good amount of weight. I think he's only like 175 currently, but day one producer, I think Arizona. If you, if you knew for a fact that Rayshon Luke (laughs) was like 185 pounds, he'd probably be ranked in the top 15, top 10. He's what, he's what, if he was 185, he would be what Matt thinks Gavin Sawchuck is. 100%. (laughs) That's exactly right. Um, Mine is Jordan James, who I talked about earlier. I don't need to go into the depth. I like his play style. I think he could be uh, a running back used in multiple phases of the game. He's got soft hands. You even see him used vertically in high school uh, as a pass catcher. I don't think that he is necessarily explosive enough to be used that way in in uh, in college, but he can be used on swing routes and um, will be a between the t- tackles, you know, down one and down two guy. Um, and if he can add, you know, get to 215, he'll be an intriguing, intriguing player. I like Jordan. I like me some Jordan James, and I'm, I am going to have some Jordan James rostered in C2Cs this year. Chris Moxley, who you got? Or, I'm sorry, Austin, who you got? Uh, yeah, quick on mine because I don't have that much to say about him, but Arlen Harris Jr. is going to Stanford. Um, 5'11", 195. I think he's best served as kind of a, a guy in a backfield, too. Um because I don't know how good of a pass catcher he is, but he, he's very, very physical, a tough runner, and he's a good athlete as well. They lose um, Austin Jones and Nathaniel Pete, uh, both the two backs that got the majority of their touches last year. They really only have EJ Smith there, who is Emmett Smith's son, but he's more of a pass catching back, even though he's a slightly bigger guy. Like he just that that's what his role is. So I could see those two being a really nice tandem together. And I think Stanford runs the ball at like 55 or 56% neutral uh game script. So like which is really, really high. Um so I, I think the opportunity is certainly there under uh Dave Shaw and Co. I, I wanted to bring up the name Tanner McKee at some point in this show and I couldn't figure out where to put him. I mean I think Tanner McKee is he's four years removed from high school, but he's like a sophomore. Uh, and was relatively decent last year. He's a two. No, he's he's more than two years removed from high school because he, he went, was on he a went mission. Like on the, he was on the mission trip or something like that. Yeah. So uh, because he didn't he didn't start right away. But anyway, Tanner McKee. You know, if you are in a startup and you're in round forty four, and you need a quarterback that could be a dart throw. Not around before that, though. 44. Not around before 44. Your second to last pick is you need a QB, Tanner McKee. But, you know, people need quarterbacks. So, all right, let's move to the Debbie debates here. Chris Moxley, are you ready for the Debbie debates? Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, that pairing, does it make USC a playoff contender in 2022? Not until they fix their offensive line. So, no. Or defensive line. Both Both are really bad. Both their lines are pretty terrible. So, no. I don't think it's going to be that difficult to go, you know, 11 and 1 in the in the Pac-12, quite frankly. So, I think that it could make them a uh playoff contender, Austin. They're not better than Utah. Like Utah. I was going to say if them. they I was going to say without looking at their schedule, they'll lose to Utah if they play Utah next year. Yeah. Um so, uh and I don't know what they have out of conference. They always play Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a better team than they are. Um yep. So I, I, this is like a 30-second thing because I know it, they won't be a college football contender this year. But I think there's been a really interesting discussion bubbling up over the past couple of days about the ethical um, questions surrounding what Lincoln Riley has done this offseason with leaving Oklahoma and then basically taking anybody worth a damn on the roster with him. Um, and I think that's a really interesting discussion to have. And obviously, we're not going to have it tonight. But I've seen some prominent names start to discuss it in terms of he has the right to do it. But is that an ethical thing to do? Is that something that we should be encouraging coaching staffs to do in this day and age? And I am here for that discussion because I think it's kind of scummy. Very, very spicy, awesome. Disappointing. I'm, the, I'm, I'm the, the ethics person on this show. We all know it. Everybody's saying it. So you've been well, you've been yeah. spicy tonight. I know. I yeah. Know. Angry, angry Austin. Um I'll, let's jump to this question. Uh who starts at Oregon this season? Is it Bo Nix or is it Ty Thompson? Ty Thompson looked good, at least in the spring game, was a highly touted four-star recruit. Did not get to play with Anthony Brown at the helm last year. And some think that, you know, Oregon may have had a chance to beat Utah had Ty Thompson gotten some playing time last year. But bringing in Bo Nix, 
who is this? Is this also Bo? Is Bo Nix also uh, Joe Milton, or is Bo Nix actually going to start here, Austin? I think Bo Nix actually starts. Um, so first off, like I don't even like Bo Nix, but I do think he's got he's he had quite the raw deal at, at Auburn, where they consistently had at least one major deficiency at a at a position group, if not multiple. Uh, this past year was the line and the receiving group. Um, I like I don't I'm not I don't think I don't see like you know if he plays well this year we can be talking about him as a top ten pick this time next year but I do think that he rehabs what people think of him a little bit this year I actually think he's a sneaky C two C guy even if I don't think that's going to be a super high powered offense uh, I, you know he can be a, a bi week filler or somebody that you know the value certainly is going to rise and I think he starts all year there. Uh, I, I really, really do. Barring injury, I think he's the guy from day one to the end, unless they're like four and seven at the end of the year and they just try to throw Thompson or somebody out to see what they've got. But I think that's unlikely. Mox? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think that uh, Dan Lanning is familiar with Bo Nix. Like he knows what he's he does. And Dan Lanning's the new uh, coach at Oregon. He took over from Mario Cristobal. He came from, uh, he was the defense coordinator at Georgia. So he knows Bo Nix. I think that if he thinks that, Maybe they can improve some of the aspects of Bo Nix's uh, DGAF and his signature spin move and doing a whole bunch of stuff. I He's going to start week one, and I tend to agree with Austin that he's probably the starter throughout the season if the season goes well for Oregon. This next question, I'm going to answer it first to give you guys some time to think because it was hard for me. The question is, is who are the five most valuable non-USC players in the Pac-12 for C2C purposes? And I had I had a difficult time choosing five. And when I, I mean like guys who have the potential to be NFL players. I got Cameron Ward, Tavian Thomas. Tavian Thomas is an outstanding running back. Uh, I don't think that his he is. I think he spent two years in JUCO before transferring to Cincinnati and then Utah. Had an excellent season last year. One of these thicker backs who's going to be a uh, first and second down guy. Has the requisite size. He should be an NFL player. Troy Franklin. Troy Franklin is explosive. He went to the wrong school, but I still think that he has some value. He could. I mean, he wasn't bad last year at Oregon. It's just that that was a low-volume passing offense. And then Jacob Cowling, who I talked about earlier, I could not come up with a fifth. I, could, I was trying to think of a tight end or somebody. Like, I could not come up. Is Brent Keithy still in at, still at Utah? Uh, so I could not come up with with uh, with a fifth guy. Do you guys have five players? I mean, did I already identify everyone who's relevant in the Pac-12 that's not at USC? Okay, I'm a big Cameron I mean, Rising think, guy. That was, that was I got my list. That was my first name down. I think Cameron Rising as well. I've been preaching Cameron Rising for three long years, and we finally got As, to see and, him. And what? For, like, to be a what? To be a good college producer? You think yeah. Cam, Cameron Rising is a potential NFL player? Oh, I'm he, sorry. You're the only one allowed to shoot from deep. My bad. My bad. Sorry. No, I'll just no, come I'll back just, over okay. here. All right. Okay. I just – I don't think I've ever heard you say that. Like, I, He was incredible last season when he started. Like, all, all like, per, like, rate statistics, like, he was really good. Um, I'm not sure he's an NFL player, but C2C – also includes college, so That's I think true. he's gonna be good. You know, I, okay. I I really like him. Kyle Kyle's in the comics saying Cam Rising also. There we go. So. Kyle Smart. Can I add, can I add one guy that I I think wow. is being slept on? That's overall? gonna be our show for now. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> oh come on! I actually want I should, I've want to have this dude on for a while. I actually almost brought him up earlier. Benjamin Eurosec, the tight oh, end yeah. at Stanford, I think is a guy who can play himself into day two round, probably round two capital if things break right for him. So I'm really excited for Eurosec. I think he's one of my, my favorite, like he's not a sleeper, but like he's a guy that's not really being discussed enough. Somebody uh, tweet at us at Debbie debate and let us know how many times Austin Christopher Columbus, the player uh, today. It's been uh, Andrew Paul, Cameron rising, we're going to have to start scouting these players in the womb to be first. So, all right, that is going to be our show for tonight. Make sure you pay attention to the, the content all around the campus to Canton family, including the website, our articles, including the campus to Canton podcast feed. Our apologies to Kirk Street. We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon for Austin Nace and Chris Moxley. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.
field. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25. And Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown! Touchdown, Alabama! Devontae Smith, touchdown, Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter and Bob caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.